Welcome back, everyone, to another episode here on the 5571 Podcast. I wanted to thank everyone for listening to all the previous episodes and leaving questions, comments, and of course, ratings on all of your podcast platforms. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing on whatever platform you listen to. But let's go ahead and get into the 5571 news segment for this particular episode. Starting off with Adventureland. Adventureland has now finally reopened after its multi-week closure as a walkway. The walls have been removed, revealing some newly redone flooring surrounding the entrance to Indiana Jones Adventure and the upcoming Adventureland Treehouse. Walls still remain around the soon-to-be entrance side of the Adventureland Treehouse, though, as work continues on the attraction with no date announced yet as to when it's opening. Indiana Jones Adventure closed on January 9th, as we all know, but at the time we had no reopening date for the attraction, just rumors of maybe spring or summer. However, now that the walls in Adventureland have come down, newly installed signage has appeared on the walls just surrounding the entrance to the attraction that indicate the attraction is going to be opening in spring. So just for those that don't know, spring this year starts on March 20th and actually goes all the way until June 21st when it becomes summer. So we can expect the attraction to open sometime during that timeline. Hopefully Disney releases a date or puts it on the calendar a little sooner so people can start planning for their upcoming trips. Over in New Orleans Square, Haunted Mansion Holiday has finally closed to remove the Haunted Mansion Holiday layover version of the attraction on January 30th. The attraction will reopen on Friday, this Friday actually, February 10th, as the regular Haunted Mansion once again. We only have a couple weeks left in the Lunar New Year Festival at Disney California Adventure Park. The festival will end on February 15th as they begin to prepare for the California Food and Wine Festival, which is going to be starting on March 3rd. If you have any leftover tabs on those Sip and Savor passes, make sure they're all used before that final date for this year. Keep in mind also the California Food and Wine Festival Beer, Mixology, and Wine Tasting Education Seminars have all been already available to book on the festival's webpage, so make sure you're booking those as soon as possible before they all sell out because they will sell out just like they did last year. Also to mention, Earl of Sandwich has officially reopened in its temporary location in the former La Brea Bakery location in downtown Disney. Earl of Sandwich will occupy this space for an unspecified temporary amount of time while they currently reimagine this location for the future home of Portos Bakery, which is going to be opening at some point in the future. We have no date on that either. Um, The table service option, which is going to be unique to this location of Earl of Sandwich, which is going to be called the Earl of Sandwich Tavern, is not open yet and will be opening in the next few weeks or so. So keep an eye out for that. For those that are wondering, Earl of Sandwich does serve breakfast, which is really great since they're right at the main entrance of the parks there, and they open daily at 8 a.m. Park hopping has officially changed from the after 1 p.m. time at the Design Resort to now 11 a.m. as of February 4th. So guests who have a ticket with the park hopping option or a Disneyland Magic Key can now switch or cross over from a park starting at 11 a.m. A little closer to dropping the rule altogether and a definite step in the right direction. But even better, guests who have a reservation that starts at either Disneyland or Disney California Adventure Park can just start at whatever park they 
choose starting at 11 a.m. Now, this was always the case for 1 p.m., but of course, now the 11 a.m. time frame is when you can begin to do this. So if there's maybe no Disneyland reservations available that day, you can just wait till 11 o'clock and start with your DCA-only reservation at Disneyland Park instead at 11 a.m. And unlike Walt Disney World, you don't have to visit the originating park of your reservation um, in order to cross over. That is a rule that's still in place over at Walt Disney World, but for those guests visiting with Park Hopper tickets and maybe are used to that rule, that's not in place at Disneyland. It doesn't matter which park you scan into first. If you have a reservation and you're entering the park after the park hopping time has started, you can just start wherever you want. Finally, the last bit of news here for our 5571 News segment is that on February 4th, photo passed Digital downloads are now free for all guests with valid admission on the day of their visit for PhotoPass attraction on-ride photos. So Disney has stated this would be going on throughout the Disney 100 celebration, but they've given no specific end date for either the Disney 100 celebration or for how long this freebie is going to last. So any attraction that offers on-ride photos like Splash Mountain, at least for while it's still open, Space Mountain, Radiator Springs Racers, any of those photos um, where you would have an on-ride photo at the end uh, to be able to view and, and, and have the code and everything, you can now input that code into your Disneyland app and get the photo on-ride high quality photo for free um, included. This used to be part of the Genie Plus um, service or as an add-on as part of Genie Plus, Um, but now it's just included for all guests and Disney indicated on the website announcement at least that this was part of the Disney 100 celebration. So definitely don't forget to take advantage of that because I'm sure everyone loves to have that and now you don't have to pay for it. It's all included. But now let's head into our Main Street topic. And for the Main Street topic this week, this episode might be a little bit shorter since I don't have a special guest host on with me today. It might be a little bit more streamlined. Um, but I wanted to have been talking about having a Q&A segment, right, on this particular show. And I finally got enough questions via email, via my Instagram and Twitter DMs to kind of compile a list of questions to answer that I get answered or asked quite often, actually. Um, so I put them all on a list of 10, or I, gra- I gathered 10 questions I felt like would be something that a lot of people ask regularly or would want answers to. So I've compiled them now as part of this episode for the Main Street topic this week. Uh, I did my top 10 Disneyland Q&A. I didn't include the usernames um, and like screen names of people that submitted the questions. I didn't know if they wanted me to, and some of them were... Um, a couple weeks old, so I didn't want to like have to reach out to anyone. In the future, I might consider doing that if I reach out specifically for questions. I might um, include the name if people want to do it. But for this one, if you recognize the question um, the, that you asked me via DM or email, etc., um, you can you know silently claim it. But I didn't actually put anyone's name on it for this particular episode. But let's go ahead and get into the first question, which is which parking area do you prefer or regularly park at at the Disneyland Resort? Um, We actually were just talking about this on Speculation Sunday with Mondo. Um, For about a year now, or just a little bit under a year, um, with very few occasions here and there where I might park at Mickey and Friends, but I almost exclusively park at um, Toy Story parking lot. Um, It's so easy for me to get in and out of that parking lot. 
Um, I know the the bus lines can sometimes be kind of long, um, but I feel just overall as a guest experience and like efficiency, it's so much easier to get in and out of this parking lot. Um, if you're coming from uh, 5 North and you're exiting Catella Avenue, it's just so much easier to be able to get to Toy Story parking lot, especially if you're coming in the morning. Um, a little known secret, you can actually enter the Toy Story parking lot from the Catella side of uh, the street. In the morning where the buses come in from the street right there, they actually have that opened um, on morning time uh, for guests to come in as well. And there's usually like never a wait on that side and it's much more convenient to the freeway. Um, it's not always guaranteed if you're exiting Catella Avenue from the five freeway and heading this direction towards Harbor, um, you can kind of chance it and see if that's open. And if it's not, you can just continue on straight to Harbor, make a left and it's going to be your next left right into Toy Story parking lot. So either way, I just feel all around, it's much more efficient. Um, and more importantly, at the end of the night, the, the, the problem that I didn't like about, um, Mickey and friends parking structure is that depending on like staffing for the day, um, and how low staffed or high staffed they were really dictated how good your experience was at Mickey and friends. And, um, and also like light signal light syncing, um, when you're trying to leave Mickey and friends that, um, signal light that everyone dumps out into if you're exiting from the Mickey and Friends side and not onto Magic Way is going to be Ball Road. And um, sometimes Ball Road isn't always synced to have um, really long signal lights for the guests that are exiting the structure. And it can really back things up into the structure, especially if you're leaving at a time where it's really packed and impacted um, after like a fireworks or World of Color segment or maybe even closer to when the parks actually close. Um, so sometimes you can take like 45 minutes, 30 minutes just to exit Mickey and friends. I just never feel like it's a good experience for me there. The only positive thing about Mickey and friends is getting to and from the park. It's so easy with the bridge, pedestrian bridge and walking. And even with the trams too, um, it's definitely better in that aspect, um, and much more convenient as far as getting to the parks. Um, but I typically walk from Toy Story parking lot too. It only takes me about 10 to 12 minutes, um, not too too bad of a walk. Um, and lately, the Toy Story Lot buses haven't been a problem. So um, I just really like the experience at Toy Story, and I'll keep can continue parking there. So hope that answers that question, uh, where I prefer Toy Story parking lot all the way. Question number two, do I have to be scanned in and on property to get a boarding group for Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway? Um, I got asked this so many times, so, so many times. So if you answered, asked this question, it might be a lot of you that asked this question that might be able to claim this one. But um, the short of the answer is yes and no. So there's two different times to get uh, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway boarding group times. Um, and there's also lightning lane and all those kind of require different rules for being scanned in and not being scanned in. Um, I actually have a whole episode breaking this down on this podcast actually a few episodes ago, if you want to listen back for more detail, but, um, there's two different times, like I mentioned. So 7am is the first time to get a boarding group for Mickey and Minnie's runaway railway. And that particular time you do not have to be scanned in or on property at all to get that boarding group time or that return time. Essentially, you just have to have everyone already in your app with all their tickets and everything loaded, and all those guests have to have a Disneyland start reservation for the day. Now, it doesn't matter if they're park hopper tickets or if they're Disneyland only tickets, they just have to have a reservation that starts at Disneyland for that particular day. 
And then at 7 a.m., you can confirm your party group size and then be on the screen waiting to refresh right at 7 o'clock to hopefully get your boarding group assignment um, number, which will then be called later throughout the day. Now, there is a gamble if you do this from home and you live really far away. You might get called and get a lucky number right away when the park opens at 8 with maybe no plans to come until later. Um, they do ask that you come back within the next hour of when you're called. Um, I imagine there are probably one-off scenarios where they can accommodate you later on, but of course it's never a guarantee. The app tells you to come back at a certain time frame, so there's always that risk involved, but my best recommendations to people if they can't make their time slot is always um, pull up the code as if you're going to redeem it and just screenshot everyone's redemption code so that if it does happen to disappear from your app, you have a way of showing the cast members later on that you did have it, but just weren't able to make it during your time. And then as far as the second time to get your boarding groups, that's going to be at um, 1 p.m. And the 1 p.m. time frame, you do actually have to be scanned in and on property. Um, so that one, you can be scanned in and over at Disney California Adventure Park, or you can be scanned in and at Disneyland Park, but maybe you missed the first one at 7 a.m. Now, if you already got a 7 a.m. one, you cannot get a second one for the 1 p.m. Uh, boarding group time. You can only get one per day. Um, so essentially, this one, you do have to be scanned in, like I mentioned. So at either park, and then once 1 o'clock goes, you can confirm your group and then try to get your boarding group at that time as well. Now, if you already got a boarding group at either 1 o'clock or 7 a.m., you can also purchase a Lightning Lane. I did both in one day as well, too, so I can confirm that does work. Um, the individual Lightning Lanes vary as far as $15 to $20. I've seen it so far, so it can be a different price depending on the day. Um, and this particular um, option, you do have to be scanned in. So if you miss the 7 a.m. boarding group and you're not able to get it, but you're at home still, you can't just then pull up the app and buy a Lightning Lane for the attraction at a specified time. You're going to be buying the next available Lightning Lane, whatever that may be. And at that time, um, you have to be scanned in. So if maybe one of your party members is not there yet, but the rest of your group is, you're going to have to unfortunately wait until they all get there in order to buy it for everyone. And they're pretty hard on this and they won't budge. Uh, we had this issue on the first weekend. So uh, keep that in mind for any of your options for Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Question number three, is it possible to watch Wondrous Journeys and World of Color 1 on the same night? Um, it is. It is possible. Uh, I think Mondo actually did this on a live stream, so it's definitely possible to do. It's a little bit tricky, um, and you kind of have to position yourself in a way to be able to do it. But essentially, you're going to start off the night with watching Wondrous Journeys. And the best way to position yourself for this is going to be to watch Wondrous Journeys on the back end of Main Street, kind of closer to Town Square, um, so that you're still on Main Street. You can still enjoy the projections on Main Street that you see, because there's a lot of really great projections on Main Street. You can still see the castle and, of course, the fireworks. Um, but then, you know, Wondrous Journeys is a 13-minute show. Um, and that's going to start at 9.35, actually. Shows have always started at 9.30, but for specifically... This show, Disneyland, has decided to start it at 9.30, um, at least for the uh, foreseeable future, right? But um, so 9.35 is when the show starts. Um, it's a 13-minute show. Then it's going to give you about 27 minutes once the show ends to get to, to World of Colors viewing area over at Disney California Adventure Park. Now, if you already were lucky enough to get a boarding group callback for World of Colors 10.15 showing, 
Um, that'll make your job a little bit easier. You can just report to your viewing area. But if not, you're going to be subject to whatever standing rooms available in the standby areas around the World of Color viewing area. So this could be right by the Little Mermaid attraction. This could be right at the entrance to Pixar Pier, kind of at the back of all the viewing areas. There's still some really great sections available for guests that are doing walk-up, um, but it is possible. You're basically just going to leave as soon as Wondrous Journeys is done. You're going to park hop across the way over to Disney California Adventure Park, and you're going to make your way all the way back to the park and get into one of those areas there. Um, it's possible. It's definitely doable. Um, it's not an easy task, but if you want to watch both in one night, you can definitely do it. Question four is, should we still avoid the Disneyland Hotel and Disney's Paradise Pier hotels during our trip due to their construction? Um, now, I would say for this one, it's probably changed a little bit now. Um, based on what I'm seeing, you know, I did an update today um, that's going to be posting to my YouTube channel very soon where I did touch on the Disneyland Hotel again. It's been a little bit since I've been over there. Um, but it looks like some of the major, major kind of loud, noisy construction with like the crane and everything over at the Disneyland Hotel is kind of wrapped up. The crane is um, not really a part of the daily operations is what's going on there. The hotel towers really reached its top point. Um, all the details are being placed on the outside of the tower. A lot of the windows are already installed. It seems like most of the major kind of loud exterior work um, that would really have scared me of recommending recommending excuse me this hotel to someone um, as you know their main hotel for their stay have kind of subsided a little bit. Um, there's still plenty of construction going on. The entire tower is still covered in scaffolding. They still have to do some exterior painting. Of course, there's all the interior work and the additional pool. I don't know how much work's been done there because we can't see that part of the hotel tower. Um, so there's still probably a lot of construction, but I would say probably a lot less than there was before. Uh, you probably would be just fine staying at the Disneyland Hotel and maybe requesting and putting in a request for the Fantasy Tower or Adventure Tower, since those are not the towers that are directly adjacent to the construction. You're probably still going to be impacted a little bit noise-wise um, at certain times of the day over at the Frontier Tower, since it is so close to the construction and it's definitely very visible from your tower. So if you're trying to avoid it, I would say those two tower requests would be um, something that you could do. Of course, those are always just requests, never guaranteed at the hotels, but it's certainly something that you could put in. And as far as the Paradise Pier Hotel, as it's currently transitioning to the Pixar Place Hotel, the construction there is still well underway. They've done, they're still doing a lot of exterior painting and there's no main entrance to the hotel still no lobby. So it's still a work in progress. I would definitely recommend avoiding this hotel. There's still no dining options available other than grab and go items in a small little kind of makeshift market that they have set up. Um, these problems don't exist at the Disneyland Hotel, even though it's still under construction. It's really just exclusive to Disney's Paradise Pier Hotel. I feel like there's just so many alternate cheaper options available around the Disneyland Resort that would be a better fit for your spend during your stay than the Paradise Pier Hotel. Of course, once it finishes its renovation or gets a little bit closer to that when maybe at least the lobby comes back, that situation might change a little bit. But uh, for right now, I still recommend trying to avoid the Paradise Pier Hotel during all of this. Um, but I would say if you're looking to book Disneyland Hotel, it might be still um, a good time to avoid it or to 
to try it, but put in those requests for those other towers that are farther away from the construction. Question number five is, what is my favorite quick service dining location to eat on property? Um, this one, I really like sat and thought about it once I got asked this question. Um, I've been asked this many times before, um, and I have to kind of split this up into two answers because I have um, one in the theme parks and one out of the theme parks. That's the best way I could do it because I know this person said on property, but I just had to split it up in those two ways. Um, so of course, for those that that know me or have watched any of my content, um, you probably know that I have a big love for Bengal barbecue over at Disneyland. Um, I do have a lot of dietary restrictions um, in my particular diet, um, but um, I just feel that Bengal barbecue kind of really has something for everyone and offers honestly some really healthy options and really fresh options. Um, I love the the open grill and and just the available options here for rice and and salads and things like that. So. Bengal barbecue is definitely my quick service choice no matter what whenever I go to the parks um, at uh, for inside the parks anyway. Um, I typically mobile order at Bengal barbecue. Mobile order slots run out quickly for this location and the walk-up line can be really really long. So I definitely recommend if you're considering booking this location on mobile order grab those lunch times early because they do book up quickly but you know, I love the the Bengal plate here. It's my go-to option. You usually get two skewers, and then you get the, of course, the scoop of rice and the salads adjoining it as well. Uh, and I typically add on like the uh, bacon wrapped asparagus skewer too. So just such great options there in the park. Can't go wrong with Bengal barbecue. I think I like it so much because it's so consistent. Um, it's been there for a while, and it hasn't really changed, right? Um, at least they've, they've added on some items, but there hasn't been a lot of change there. And so much food has changed at the Disneyland Resort. Um, sometimes not so good changes from what they were before. And I feel like Bengal barbecue is just kind of like tried and true, right? Maybe some of the portion sizes have changed a little bit, but the sauces and the basis of kind of what it is, is remained the same since the beginning. Uh, and I really love that about that location. Now, as far as um, off property or off property, meaning out of the parks. Uh, I'm definitely going to have to give this one to um, Tangaroa Terrace, and we've talked about this before. I think I talked about this uh, with Jar Jar Bougie on the episode where we talked about places to kind of like escape the crowds in the park. Um, but Tangaroa Terrace, you can't go wrong. But more specifically for breakfast, if you're looking for a really nice breakfast location at Design Resort. This quick service location is second to none, the best location on property for breakfast. Um, I, I just can't say enough good about it. There's such amazing lunch and dinner options as well, too. And there's a lot of variety. Um, it is a Hawaiian fusion restaurant location. So you're going to find some like Japanese inspired foods, Hawaiian inspired foods. Um, and really there's a really great kid menu options too. So I just feel like you can't go wrong. And this is going to be the Tangaro Terrace for those that don't know over at the Disneyland hotel. So you can take a monorail ride from Disneyland over to the Disneyland hotel, and then just head on out to the pool area. You don't have to be a hotel guest to eat here. It's open to everyone. My biggest takeaway for this restaurant, I cannot say it enough. I can't stress it enough. Um, do not mobile order here. Do not mobile order here at all. Um, they're going to put it in a small little box. It's going to be soggy. They're going to make it way before you get there. Um, and it's going to be terrible and you won't like this restaurant. Um, but this restaurant has such 
amazing plating and decor on their plates and the the setup for the plating is so nice Uh, and you really don't get any of that if you're not ordering in restaurants so definitely order at the location i've never experienced a long line here now it's a little bit deceiving because there is an exterior bar window attached to Tangaroa Terrace that does have a very long line. This is going to be the location bar window that serves the Dole Whips, the alcoholic Dole Whips, and any of the drinks um, that you can get at Trader Sam's available to go. These are going to be for the guests that are enjoying Disneyland Hotel's pool area or just want to enjoy the drink on the Tangaro Terrace patio that maybe don't have a reservation for Trader Sam's so they can't get in there. Um, but this is not the restaurant's line. You actually walk right inside to the restaurant and there's a register inside, typically with no one at it, where you can order directly for Tangaro Terrace and you can either dine inside or outdoors on their patio. Um, and I can't recommend it enough. So two locations split, one in Disneyland being Bengal Barbecue over in Adventureland, and the second being outside the parks, Tangaro Terrace at the Disneyland Hotel. What is my favorite Disneyland snack? This one's also easy for me. It's going to be, hands down, a Mickey pretzel. I don't even get it with cheese, just plain Mickey pretzel. I I love the taste. It's always consistent. I love soft pretzels like that. Um, Definitely beats Wetzel pretzel, any of the other pretzel locations. Mickey pretzels tried and true. Um, Biggest tip for getting a Mickey pretzel inside Disneyland Resort, um, get it at Coke Corner if you can. Refreshment Corner on Main Street. Um... You're going to be paying $6 for pretzels, any of the pretzel carts, like over in Frontierland, Fantasyland, or Tomorrowland, Um, and no discounts are applicable at the outdoor vending carts, but over at Coke Corner, your Magic Key discount is available for you, and you end up paying just over $5 for the pretzel um, at Coke Corner instead of $6 at the pretzel location cart, so save some money if you order it over at the Refreshment Corner, and you can also get a, like, a what do you call it? A fountain soda instead of a bottled soda too from Refreshment Corner since a lot of times those are better as well. So win-win all around. Refreshment Corner sometimes has a really long wait though. So kind of depends on what time of day you're there. But um, if you're going for the cart locations, definitely get your Mickey pretzel from the Frontierland cart. Always is the best. Question number seven is, is it going to be hard to watch the Magic Happens Parade when it returns to Disneyland? And do we have to camp out all day to get a good spot? Now, um, if we're kind of going based on how it was before when Magic Happens debuted for its short little two to three week run uh, before the park shut down in 2020, um, they did have two showings of the parade. The first showing starting at It's a Small World coming to Main Street, and then the second showing coming from Main Street going to It's a Small World, kind of like they had set up for the Christmas Fantasy Parade when it was going during the holiday season. Um, now, typically, the Main Street locations are going to fill up fast. There's really kind of no way around that. Um, people are going to get their spots right on Main Street pretty early, especially for that first showing of the day, um, and especially if they have younger kids, right? They're going to want to watch the first showing, maybe the second showings during their dinner time, or maybe it's before they're going to be, it's after they're already going to be leaving for the day. Um, so if you're looking to watch it on Main Street, I would say that's probably not a good spot to try to get in last minute viewing um, and you would have to wait pretty early for that now there are some alternate viewing areas like along the parade route um, over by like the alice in wonderland attraction and even back by it's a small world those areas tend to fill up um, last even though the parade starts there the first time around 
Um, but there's really some great viewing available in those locations that you can get pretty last minute. If you don't mind kind of watching it behind a few people, a lot of times you can walk up pretty like right before the parade starts and stand behind a few rows of people and still see a majority of the floats. These are big floats and magic happens. Um, and you won't have a hard time like seeing them and, and interacting with them even a few rows back. Um, it really kind of just depends if you have young ones in the party and they need to be kind of up front um, to have an unobstructed view. You might have to get there earlier. I would recommend at least an hour early, even over by the fantasy land small world locations. Um, if you're wanting that prime viewing though on Main Street, it's probably going to be a couple hours early um, before the parade showing of your choice. Um, so keep that in mind. There are also some dining packages available uh, for this location. So check the Disneyland app um, and the Disneyland website to see if you can book any of those for your upcoming stay. Um, but you don't have to wait all day to get a good spot for it. There are available spots. It's just going to be kind of what you'd like to watch the show, like how you're able to see it. Um, but you can definitely walk up last minute and, and get some pretty good viewing. Um, you just might have people in front of you. Question number eight was, was the World of Color dessert party worth it in your experience? Uh, for those that didn't see my Disney 100 video, I actually made a video all about my experience at the Disney 100 kickoff celebration, and I talked about the can't-miss things to do during the Disney 100 celebration. If you're visiting during this time, go check it out if you haven't already. It's on my YouTube channel, um, and I posted it just after the opening weekend of the Disney 100 celebration. Um, but on opening day, so Friday, January 27th, I actually was able to do the World of Color 1 dessert party because um, I wanted to just have a totally relaxed experience and kind of treat myself for a little bit with a bunch of us that were trying to do it um, and see what it was all about. I had never done a World of Color dessert party. In fact, the only time I've ever done a dessert party for any of these shows has been for Illuminations, Reflections of Earth over at Epcot. Um, I did that a long time ago. Um, and it was a really great experience and I just wanted to try it for World of Color, especially for a new show. I wasn't trying to, wanting to fuss around with any of the boarding group stuff because our main focus was going to be for Mickey and Minnie's that day. And we really just wanted like a guaranteed way to watch World of Color and not have to like really worry about it. Um, and I feel like that's kind of what made it worth it. Um, it is very expensive. It's a very expensive option. It's $89 a person with all the gratuity and tax included in that price because I think it's like $71 or $72 but they auto gratuity and put on the tax so then it ends up being $89 and uh at the very end of it all um but it was a great experience and it's definitely something to treat yourself on if you're bringing someone on a date maybe or you're going as a family for like a once in a long time vacation, I would highly recommend it. Um, if, if you just, you know, want the convenience factor, I think, you know, is the dessert available options, like the best things I've ever had? No, they're definitely not the best dessert options I've ever had. But I think the important thing is, is for the world of color dessert party, you're really just paying for convenience, right? Um, we were able to walk on over to the, the Redwood Creek Challenge Trail area, which is where you check in. You just queue right on up back there, wait for your host to kind of walk you over. And then you're just walked on over to the World of Color viewing area. And then you're seated at either a high top table or a low top table. Pro tip, if you are booking this, I definitely recommend putting in a request for a high top table either when you're making the reservation or when you're checking in at your designated check-in time. 
Um, and then they're going to seat you down at a table in a section that's completely roped off for just guests that are doing this dessert party. There's no standing guests around you. Um, there's no people kind of pushing up to you. You have your own assigned table, um, your own seated area. It's just nice. Nice to be able to come up to the show, not have to worry about, you know, being crowded with other people, standing. You're seated down at an assigned table. Um, and this is for people that just don't want the hassle, right? They want the convenience factor. You're seated the entire show. You're not having to think about arriving early to be able to get in first come, first serve. Um, and you're being offered, you know, table service during the show as well. You're given a plate of dessert as well as your drink order taken before the show starts. Um, so it's definitely a very um, elevated experience. Um, and I'm glad I've done it at least once. It's definitely not something I'll continue to do. And I know it's a lot more of a ask to do for like a family of four or five when you start having to times that $89 number um, to a bunch of different people in the family. Um, but I would say if, if convenience is really the most important thing to you, you have kids and you just know there's literally no way you can get them to come an hour early and wait around without being fussy to watch a show and you really want to experience this as a family, um, that dessert option, dessert party option is a great way for you to experience the show that way. And I, I definitely recommend it for that. So if convenience and, um, you know, lack of having to put thought into it is your thing of doing it, then definitely recommend the dessert party. And, um, I would, I would do it again, but I probably wouldn't do it regularly. Right. Um, and I'd like to do one of the options they're going to have for magic happens parade and for, um, wondrous journey. And I'll have to try those and report on those later. Not quite the same as experience as world of color dessert party. I feel like world of color dessert party is like the most elevated of them all because you have like your assigned seating, you're being waited on during the show. So I feel like nothing really kind of beats the elevated experience you get with this one. Um, but I'm going to try the other ones too. Question number nine, when do you think Disneyland will ever finish the new entrance to Tomorrowland that they announced in 2019 on the Disney Parks blog? Um, this is a really good question. Um, I actually been asked this a few times, not only on our live streams, but um, on Instagram, etc., there's, you know, these construction walls outside of Tomorrowland ever since they announced it back in 2019, um, when they deconstructed the former entrance to Tomorrowland and showed us this great new artwork of a more retro modern um, entrance to Tomorrowland that kind of harkened back to the 60s. And um, they tore everything out, put walls up with the artwork that they showed us on the website, and never really did anything. Um, but I think, you know, once the park shut down during um, the, the pandemic shutdown for COVID-19, I feel like plans really changed. Um, I feel like their, their idea and direction for what they wanted to do for Tomorrowland really changed. And I feel like that's still in flux now. Um, so, you know, is this entrance still going to look the same? I don't know. They even bothered to um, take the artwork that was on that construction wall still to this day. Um, that had become so faded. More recently, they replaced the artwork again with the same artwork. Um, so it's still showing the um, the former entrance that they um, announced back in 2019 as coming soon um, with no changes to it. But I think they might have some changes coming that are in their pocket. They just aren't ready to announce yet. Um, I feel like we're on the precipice of something being announced for Disneyland's Tomorrowland. 
Um, we do have some major anniversaries coming up, like Disneyland's 70th anniversary. I feel like there are some changes coming to Tomorrowland. It is the land that needs the most help of all the lands at Disneyland, so... I think once the focus is off Mickey's Toontown and other current projects like Tiana's Bayou Adventure, we might see some changes coming to Disneyland's Tomorrowland that tons of fans I know have been wanting. Um, so I would say yes, I still think they're going to do it because the construction walls are there and they've torn out what was there before. I just think that maybe they have different ideas of kind of how they want to implement it into a greater overall plan of what's happening to Disneyland's Tomorrowland. And lastly, my last question, question number 10, is Disneyland Forward still happening? Whatever happened to it? This is a the most asked question I get, not only on Speculation Sunday live streams, but in DMs, in person, by colleagues, by people that I know, by people that I ran into that watched my show. And um, the answer is, far as far as we know, the initiative is still in play, right? They're still working on it. Um, I think the problem here, and I talked a little bit about this on the Speculation Sunday live stream with Mondo and Five Fires YouTube, is that um, when Disney announced this on the Disney Parks blog and then created a website for it and everything, it really made it seem like, um, you know, at least other theme park blogs and theme park websites and, you know, people who are sharing the information really made it seem like this was a cohesive project that was happening all at once and was happening sometime in the future as soon as it got approved. When in actuality, um, Disneyland Forward is really just what it says in the title. It's Disneyland's moving forward. It's the way Disneyland can move forward. It's it's how they expand beyond what they have. Right now, they've reached the limits not only in Disney California Adventure Park, but in Disneyland Park with really all they can expand. There's no more room for them to grow without taking away either an attraction that's already there and beloved by maybe some people or by removing some much needed backstage, you know, space that they need for administrative or, you know, just day-to-day -day operations. Um, so Disneyland Forward was a way for them to move forward in the next 30 plus years um, with future expansion ideas and projects for the design resort um, beyond the walls of what they had now. And it was using existing land that Disneyland already has, but isn't zoned for theme park use. So places like the Simba parking lot, where you park for downtown Disney, adjacent to the, uh, the Paradise Pier Hotel, and also um, the Lilo and Stitch parking lots um, in front of the Disneyland Hotel that used to be additional parking for downtown Disney back in the day. Um, not only that, but the downtown Disney parking lot, um, which is now utilized by cast members who work in downtown Disney and also some of the hotel cast members. Um, this location is all parking lots that, um, have been earmarked for the Disneyland Forward project, um, as well as the Toy Story parking lot, which is where I talked about earlier. I love parking. Um, these are all locations that Disney does own. Um, but are not currently zoned with the Anaheim city um, of being able to be used for theme park space. Um, they are zoned for multi-use hotel, shopping, and parking, um, but they do not have zoning to be used for theme park or theme park expansion. So even though Disney owns this space, they cannot build theme park expansion in these spaces because it's not zoned that way. 
Um, <clears throat> these locations are closer to homes in the area that were, you know, there before and were not next to a theme park, but after this project potentially could be next to a theme park. So there's those things that come into play there. So I think Disneyland Forward was just announced because Disneyland wanted to get the ball rolling on this project as far as getting the rezoning of these spaces. Um, and it was really about getting the message out to the community, right? Because Disney's going to have to make sure the community is on board with a project like this if it's going to affect their community. And by community, I mean the local community in Anaheim, the people that live around the resort, um, who, who would potentially maybe oppose something like this um, happening, if, you know, as far as the property value of their house or noise issues that would come into play if all of a sudden a new attraction showed up right in front of their house, whereas before it was a parking lot that was kind of blocked by a wall that I could never see, um, you know, is what they might say. So these people are, you know, are going to have to um, be appeased by Disney and the plans that they have. So I think this process is going to take a really, really long time in order to get approved. Um, and once it get, gets approved, it's just an approval to rezone the land. So it's just rezoning. It's not approval. Okay, let's get started. Let's get going. It's just like, hey, you have all these parking lots. Now you can use them for theme park expansion. So when Disney comes up with an idea, hey, let's add on to Disneyland. Well, guess what? Now they can do that in the downtown Disney parking lot and go beyond Splash Mountain. Or in the future, it's going to be Tiana's Bayou Adventure. Go beyond Tiana's Bayou Adventure and into this new area that can give you all this extra space to create more immersive experiences. That's really all this particular Disneyland Forward is. Um, for all we know, it's still happening. It's still in the process of being approved. We just haven't gotten an update on it just yet. But again, I really want to make sure that everyone knows this is not a project entirely. This is just rezoning. Disneyland Forward is just rezoning, so it's just the possibility of Disneyland being able to use their already existing land for future theme park expansion. Um, it hasn't been approved yet, or if it has, Disney hasn't shared that it has, um, but it, we're kind of just waiting on that. So, But I would say more immediately, even if it was approved, um, we saw Disney currently redo that parking lot for the cast members in downtown Disney. Currently, um, the Simba parking lot next to the Pixar Place Hotel is being utilized for downtown Disney parking with really no other ulterior options available, or alternative, excuse me, options available. And then in downtown Disney, um, the other part of the downtown Disney parking lot next to the Disneyland Hotel, those Lilo and Stitch lots, those are currently being used for construction parking as well as cast member parking for the hotel cast members. So, it doesn't really seem like any of these places are available to be taken offline anytime soon. Even if it was approved, it feels like this is something way more in the future um, and probably not on some of the areas they've just redone, like downtown Disney's former parking lot for cast members. So I could see this maybe happening over at um, Simba parking lot first or maybe even Toy Story parking lot um, as part of that expansion too. So We'll have to see, but this is a, a number one question I get asked. I just really wanted to make sure people knew this wasn't a project in and of itself. It's just a rezoning. So 
Um, it's I definitely want everyone to have their expectations kind of reset on this one because I feel like there's a big misunderstanding out there on it. Um, but to our knowledge, it's still happening. Um, we definitely hope it does happen and they're able to rezone that land because it would be great to see kind of what they could do with all that land at some point in the future. And of course, um, this leads them through 2028 where the Olympics are going to be here. So there's a lot of potential expansion space out there. So looking forward to hopefully this getting approved and Disney sharing more information on it, um, in, in hopefully in the near future. Um, but we haven't heard anything just yet. So that wraps up my Disneyland Q&A. Got those top 10 questions. And I hope you maybe learned something from me answering those questions. And if I answered your question, um, I hope you enjoyed the answer. Uh, but if you want to send in your own questions to be part of a maybe future episode for more Q&A. Um, we can do some kind of themed Q&A questions in the future, but just send in whatever questions you have that maybe you wanted to ask someone. Um, you can do that at podcast at the5571.com. Again, that's podcast at the5571.com. Or you can just DM me on Instagram, on on Twitter, um, and I can answer the questions that way as well too. And um, this time I might ask you guys to see if I can utilize your username from wherever you're sending me the question from or your name if you're emailing it to me um, so I can um, give you credit for the question when we're on the podcast episode itself. Uh, but thank you again for listening to this episode and any of the episodes if you're a returning listener. And if you haven't already, consider subscribing to the podcast by hitting that subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice. That's hard to say there. Um, and we will be seeing you on the next episode, and I'm going to be back to having a guest host with me on that next episode. Um, so stay tuned on that, but we'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye, everyone.